It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Joining me on the show today is my guest, Carolyn Korodeski, sales performance and leadership coach with Southwestern Consulting. She's a 30-year frontline sales veteran. She even said I could say that. And Carolyn, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Good. So take a minute, introduce yourself. Tell us how you got your start in sales. Oh, gosh. Well, let's go way back to college days um, when I went to the University of Massachusetts. I'm now a left coaster in California, but I got my start selling books door-to-door 80 hours a week with a company called Southwestern uh, Company, actually. Now it's called Southwestern Advantage. Now, this Uh, was during college? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, summer summer sales internship. And uh, we we were recruited on campus and then went thousands of miles away from home and and learned, uh, learned how to sell. Oh, so, so you didn't do it uh, in Amherst or wherever you were no, going to school? No, my first summer was in Chicago. That was They told me we'd go out west, so that was west for me. <laughs> Back in the covered wagons days, that was west, but I was going to say. So they put you up somewhere, and you just, what type of books were you selling? Yeah, educational reference books, not encyclopedias, so children's uh, reading guides and then these great study guides that are still around today. The company still exists, um, something called the Webster's Student Handbooks, and so they were guides to help students and, and parents uh, understand how to do math and English, how to write papers, how to study for SATs, all that good stuff. And so they, what, put you up in an apartment in Chicago and you went and walked neighborhoods? I mean, how did you know where yeah. to go? Well, it was really like getting your first real job at the age of 19 or 20 or whenever you were recruited. Um, we actually found our own places to live. Uh, sometimes we were given leads, but often not. And so we, we would travel. We went to sales school in Nashville, Tennessee, which still exists for a week of intense training, probably the best training I've ever had in sales. And from there, we went out in caravans to uh, the location that we were going to sell in for the summer. And then we would find a place to live and then work, you know, work the summer. Uh, and if you did well, you were invited to come back as a student manager and work your way up. And so I did that for seven different years. I wasn't in college for seven years. But I want to make that point. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Some people go on the extended plan. Right. So you then that was your first full-time job then after college. It really was. I mean, so I did it through graduating and then I... Um, I, tra- I got to travel the world. That was the exposure I got. And that's what I learned from selling is that if you do well enough and you work hard, you um, it grants you lots of cool things. And so I took advantage of, of travel and actually went over to Ireland and recruited a team for Southwestern and brought them over. And we have a whole European expansion that was part of it um, back in the day. So there were people prior to me, but nobody had done Ireland before. So I was the lucky one who got to go there. Uh, met my husband doing it too, recruited him and, and um, we're still together some 20-some years later. Did you recruit him in Ireland? Uh, no, he's, uh, he's a New Jersey boy. New Jersey boy, okay. <laughs> Close enough. Close, well, yeah, New Jersey, <laughs> Ireland, very, <Yeah>. very similar. <laughs> so, interesting. So, you did that. So, then, I know at some point, you got into medical device sales and so on. I mean, how did you get from selling books to selling Technical products. Yeah, technical devices. Well, you know, um, some people will say sales is sales. I think you learn an acumen for it and you can translate it to to any business or any sales industry. I worked, um, so I moved to Los Angeles. My husband and I moved here together and um, 
just started pounding the pavement for different uh, companies. I had a little spurt with the entertainment industry, but really then focused on medical sales and spent over 15 years in that in that arena. And I loved it. It was very lucrative. You know, it was a time when we had um, a great medical device and there still are great companies out there. But it, I really rode the wave with it. It was a great experience. And um, what I loved about the particular company that I spent 10 years with was that I got to actually sell to the physicians, but then also see the end user um, benefit from the product. And it wasn't drugs. It was a device to actually help them get off of drugs. So, it was so very- what, what type of device were you selling? It was a neuromuscular stim for a lot of chronic pain patients that had uh, lower back or uh, neck pain, cervical pain, or they had recent surgeries that they needed to rehab. And so instead of getting loaded with pain meds, we could help rehab the muscle and they could use it at home. Um, so that there were other uh, other devices, but that was the main product. Hmm. Never anyone that you got to go into a surgical theater and watch, uh, watch an operation? Did get to do that, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that was that was very enlightening. It was um, not something I want to do every day, but it was. It's good to know, you know, what the patient goes through, so you can service them post-op. Yeah, and then at one point you started your own company. I started my own company. Um, actually, it was seven years ago. Uh, Rainmaker Mindset, and the reason, uh, if if that's part of the question, is that I really saw a need because of working in the medical and healthcare industry. Uh, I saw a lot of salespeople out there struggling to get in past the gatekeepers, to get in with the physicians. And um, I had uh, learned how to do that very successfully, and I wanted to share that knowledge. And so with Rainmaker Mindset, I I, um, actually went to a coaching program through Australia. I did it um, online and got certified. That was really important to me, become an international coach, federation coach. And then through that company or through the company that I built, uh, I really focused on the healthcare industry since that was a niche I knew and got in with some um, small to large companies and did, did a myriad of things, training, coaching in the field, help them get in with the gatekeepers into the physicians and have a great follow-up process. Okay, so a couple questions. Follow-up. Yep. One is, I'm sure everybody's ears perked up when you talk about your specialty was getting past gatekeepers. So, <laughs> so some tips for how do people deal with gatekeepers? Ah, yeah. You know, I think the biggest thing is... Um, everybody's busy, right? And if we have that mindset that somebody's busier than us or more important than us, then we'll walk in and that energy is transferred. So in working with my clients, it really was a mindset shift for a lot of them because I learned it too, just in in interacting with busy physicians. They're very much on the go. Sometimes your presentation is done while walking and talking. And so it really was engaging the the uh, front office person or the person behind the glass that isn't always smiling <laughs> to mirror them and, you know, make it a pleasant interaction. It didn't always happen on the first call, but that pleasant persistence of having value, of knowing how to get back in and what to say. Um, I'm a big proponent of scripting and then making it natural so it doesn't sound like a robot. And uh, it's really key in, in this industry of, of working with busy professionals, as you can translate to any industry, to know what you're saying, to have confidence, to, to walk in and be able to ask to get in, get the meeting, get out your day timer or your phone and say, let's set up the call or the meeting. Um, and it, a lot of it really is how you say it, your confidence, your stature, the energy you provide, and, and really confidence. In that case, you're not really getting a chance to really make a pitch when you're dealing with the gatekeeper. No, it's more about, you know, finding out the need there, too, and, and, and finding out, you know, obviously, if you have some pre-approach on who you're talking to, that's something we were taught in, in sales school at Southwestern is know who you're going in to see first um, to see if there is a fit, and then really asking to get that meeting set up. So that's key with positions in, in working with busy schedules, knowing when they see reps, uh, that kind of thing, and translating that into the business I do now, it, it really works over the phone to get to the point quickly so you can get the meeting 
or get the um, the workshop that we do now. So key points: mm-hmm. have a script. Yeah. Practice it so you're not reading the script, but you're you've made it second nature. Yeah, role play. I'm big on role play. So when you're working on your own, who'd you role play with? Uh, well, I have colleagues, and I would go. I joined a lot of um, mastermind groups because you can live on an island if you have your own business and you don't reach out to others. So I was big on going to regular meetings, getting on the phone with with uh, people that I knew that were had been in business longer than I because I'm, I'm I think I, there's really no finish line. <laughs> you know, I'm always learning, um, and that's what I've learned through coaching is that really there's always somebody that knows more than you do. So reach out to them. Yeah, I mean, the minute you think in sales in particular, but I'm sure it's true in every career path, but the minute you think you know exactly what you're doing, it's time you start going backwards. There you go. Exactly. Yep. All right. So second question then was, what is, I mean, we hear this term, rainmaker mindset, and I'm sure everybody has their own definition of it, but but in in your sense, well, your context, what was the rainmaker mindset? Well, I was inspired by... Um, the book on how to become a rainmaker actually connected with Jeffrey Fox. And so he was my inspiration because it was such a simple concept of you bring money to the company. When you go out, you meet with people, you have conversations, you're diligent, you're persistent, you have something of value, you make it rain. And so that was my um, my first kind of connection with what a rainmaker is. And after I wrote my book, I, I actually connected with him. <laughs> and he said, why didn't you ask me to write your foreword? I'm like, I don't know. I should have done that. But I had a, a really nice conversation with him. The rainmaker to me really is, it, it's somebody who has a mindset um, for success. And then, you know, everybody has a different definition of success. But mine is be a go-getter, be a doer, try new things, uh, hire a coach, have a mentor, <laughs> and go out and get out of your comfort zone. Because um, I'm all about stretching and doing the uncomfortable for growth. And we all, that can sound a little bit like a cliche, but rainmakers don't sit back and they aren't reactive. They're very proactive. Um, they have a positive outlook. They, they know that they can, they're going to have success. They'll have some failures, um, but they're really persistent. They have a roadmap. And, um, and they don't give up. And, and really, I find the rainmakers in the company that I hang out with now, uh, are, we're all top 1% producers, we have to be to be with Southwestern, is it, it really does start with your mind. Um, and you don't wait to get excited and motivated, you go out and do it. And you make a lot of blunders, and then you, you correct them and, and you have success. That's my definition. So how do you train people to do that? Yeah, how, do you, well, how do you train people to be open? How do you train people to, how do you make this open mind, this this go-getter mindset, the, the attributes that you listed here, how do you make that, you know, a, a habit? Yeah, it doesn't happen overnight. And that's what I found through coaching is, you know, some people have that gumption and they want to get up and go every day and they're the fun people to hang out with. And you can't drag somebody to success, but you can, you can give them new ideas, new strategies. Sometimes people just need to get back on the horse. You know, maybe they've been in a slump and they need some new ideas. Uh, one thing that we talk about in coaching is, uh, if you if you were to draw a visual of a triangle, at the top of the triangle, people have certain skills, right? They they may be good, really good at prospecting. Maybe they're good at answering objections, closing, whatever those hardcore skills are of, of sales. On the lower right hand side is the motivation, which I think is your question, like how do you motivate or train people? And that's where I feel like a lot of people just need a kick in the butt, whether they're seasoned or brand new. Sometimes they just need some new ideas and strategies. And then the third piece um, that I find that kind of intertwines it all is systems, you know, goal setting, time management, those things that people struggle with, how to automate, how to delegate. Um, And to put it all together in the middle, if you focus on the word habits, 
Uh, those are the things that we really focus on for success with our clients is to hone in on what are the habits they've created that are not so good. <laughs> Where's the gap, right? Maybe time management, whatever it is. And how then do we move the needle on that um, one day at a time, one week at a time, two weeks to a month to a year and reverse engineer it. And so we really focus on activities for success versus results. Everybody who's in sales generally has a results driven um, attitude a lot of time they do and we it's not that we get away from that it's just we want to help people focus on what are the income producing activities the right activities for success the habits that they need to form to have success does that make sense sure i mean yeah. I, i'm all about the habits that's yeah. that's what i write about so <laughs> so time management's one what other key habits do you talk about uh, uh, I think a lot of times people write down goals at the beginning of the year. That's really popular, right? To set those New Year resolutions or whatever they call them, and then they put them in a drawer and forget about them. Um, and so, you know, a reminder, a fun reminder for some people that are creative is a vision board and have that present and out. I'm looking at mine on my desk right now. Uh, so, knowing your vision, uh, we focus on critical success factors, which I mentioned, which are the income producing activities. So, knowing what it takes to have success. A lot of people wing it out there and they don't really know the, um, the common denominator of how they got there. They just go, ah, you know, I work hard or, you know, I work eight, hour, eight hours a week. Well, we actually help people really refine and define what they want to focus on for success. And so uh, when we look at their time management, the gaps there, their goal setting, um, what their systems are that they have in place to delegate, are they automating things, those kind of things um, for success. Where are they in their business? Do they need to hire new people to support them? Are they trying to do everything themselves? All those things come into play uh, for success. And and the cool thing is, Andy, is that I'm we, and I speak in we with Southwestern, is that I'm a practitioner of what I preach. So I, I'm out there selling every day. I'm in the trenches with my clients. So what we share with them, we do every day, um, as you do. So it's, it's not like we're just saying, oh, you know, try this, do that. It worked 30 years ago. They're fresh strategies that um, that we parallel along with our clients. Well, when you talk about habits and behaviors, I, you know, my point of view is that those there's really nothing new mm-hmm. with habits and behaviors. <laughs> is that is the foundation? That's the bedrock. If I think you could teach sales professionals skills or do skill training until the end of time. And if you don't have the right habits that form your foundation, it doesn't matter. You're not, you're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to achieve your goals. Right. I agree completely. So, okay. So time management sort of one habit you talk about. I mean, activities themselves aren't, aren't necessarily a habit. What are the sort of the mindset habits that you coach okay, people yeah. on that become really important? Great question. Okay, so getting out of your comfort zone is a mindset. It's painful. People are afraid. They're afraid of failure. Sometimes people are afraid of that word success, um, which is tricky. So I think it's really digging in and finding out what they've done in the past, but not dwelling there and looking where they can go. And so the reason I do bring up activities is because they do become habits. When you focus on the right activities and you have success, so let's say somebody wants to make $300,000 this year or they want to be a $100 million producer in a company. Well, that's great. That's money. That's a result. But if we don't focus on reverse engineering how to get there, that's all they're doing is focusing on the money. And if they fall short, they might feel like a failure. So when we talk about reverse engineering the habits, it's like, okay, well, what things do you do to get in front of your clients? Great. It's not just numbers, but that's part of it, right? If you make this many calls or conversations or have this many meetings in a week, where does that get you? What does that convert to? And so those do become habits because a lot of people don't track what they do. They wing it every day. 
and they somehow get there or they don't. They find a lot of people fall short. So what we do is we really help people track their daily activities, which becomes a habit. And when they can see where they have the success, it's it's a huge win for both parties because then we can see where we can still focus and where we can help them more and where maybe they're falling short. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of look at it as... Yeah, if they do the activities after a while, even though they're habits, that's really your process at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tra- sure. Tracking, yeah. The, tracking the activities, that's a great habit to get into because that, that's how you learn. right? Yeah. So I think learning is one of the key fundamental sales habits that people need to have and that they overlook. Yeah, and and, and you're right. You know, mindset. So here it is. I believe, there, and we talk about this a lot in our conference calls, uh, is that there are only really two things you can control, uh, attitude and effort, really, like how hard you work. Uh, we can't control who cancels, who says no. <laughs> uh, we can do our best to get in front of the right people, to move the needle, to move the conversation forward, to get the meeting. People will cancel. People will reschedule. Things like that happen. It's how do we respond to it, not react, but how do we respond? And so that is a big attitude if you're talking about mindset um, along with activities. That's where I see huge, like 180 degrees for people, people that double, triple their business, that have more time with their families, you know, that aren't working like workhorses, but are working smarter. I'm not saying don't go work hard because I'm a big believer in that, but but also sometimes people need to pull back and be more strategic. And so the mindset, the attitude that we wake up with every day, as you know, is so key uh, in, in being service-minded. You know, if you've talked to one of our co-founders, Rory, then you know his whole mantra is servant-minded selling. And that's really what we practice is really what, what can we do for the other? You know, what is the service that we provide? What's the value um, and if there's a fit, great. And if not, no big deal. But um, that's well, sell, yeah, selling is a service. In case people mm-hmm. are yeah. confused about that at all, if if it wasn't a service, then people would be buying completely without you. That's I mean, the right. cases where it's not a service, we see that online today. They they don't need you. I can buy things on Amazon that formerly ten years ago I would have had to go into a store for because I needed that service. Yeah, I don't need that now. So exactly. For, but for products and services that still require that. If you want to stay relevant to your customers, it has to be from a service orientation. How are you helping them make a decision? That's the service you're providing. Ah, yeah. So I think um, a big dialogue around this is something I just got off a conference call on is creating a buying atmosphere. And people, I often coach people around this and a big question mark will come up on the other side of the line of the phone going, what does that mean, Carolyn? So what we really coach around and help our clients with so that they're offering and being in, in service to their clients is, you know, what is, how do you create that atmosphere where it's not a hardcore sell, you're not pushing, you're not making people, people feel um, pushed into something and cornered. It's it's really in through questions, right? What, what are the right questions? You know, finding out if, if there is a pain, then what is the pain digging deeper? And so a, a question that I always like to incorporate, and you can word it, you know, to where you want to use it but I like to say gosh you know what let's have a discussion about it um, find out if there's a fit if there is great and if there's not that's fine too All right. so it's, it really just takes the pressure off the other person or the group or the meeting you're in front of uh, you still have confidence because you're going to present you're going to dig in and find out what their needs are but a lot of times I, I still I find when I follow or shadow clients they're, they're just spending time on the presentation and not spending time on their introduction, their rapport, getting to know the client to find if there's pain or a need. And they go into selling too soon and then they lose the sale or they push forward too soon um, and they come out going, well, I wonder why that happened because they don't take the time to create a buying atmosphere. Well, yeah, they've lost focus on why they're, why they're there in the first place. So. Sure. Uh, you know, the, the beginning of my, my latest book, Hamp Up Your Sales, you have a quote from uh, Jeff Bezos, founder CEO of Amazon. 
in an interview he did at Harvard Business Review where he said, I thought encapsulates sales so perfectly, is he said, you know, we don't make money when we sell things. We make money when we help customers make purchase decisions. Yeah, I like that. And yeah. that's what it's all about. Yeah, couldn't agree more. All right, so um, so let me ask you some sort of basic questions about sales. You do a lot of sales professionals in your jobs and so on. So mm-hmm. in your opinion, what is the single biggest challenge that's facing sales professionals today? Where do they spend their time? So how they allocate their time. Mm-hmm. Now, has that changed or has it always been that? <laughs> I think it's always been a challenge for people. You know, when you deal with independent contractors or entrepreneurs, they have all this freedom, right? Which is awesome, especially if you've come from a company where everything was tracked and, you know, you're told what to do every day. And all of a sudden you have all this freedom, which is a lot of the clients that we work with. And so it's how do they delegate their time? What are they doing to for, with those income producing hours? Are they filing things? Are they being <laughs> using creative avoidance, you know? Um, getting distracted really easily. I think more and more we can get distracted with everything that's out there, social media, but uh, it's full of excuses with time. So a lot of times uh, in our coaching calls, we will revert back to that time management module with our clients to really find out where the gap is. You know, where is their productivity? Where could they be more mindful? Uh, Where can they multiply things and not waste? Uh, So it's a myriad of things, but I would say most people waste time. They find ways to do things that are easier than harder. Um, it's kind of like the book, Tra- uh, Brian Tracy's Eat That Frog. They don't eat the frog. They put off eating the frog, and then it sits on them and weighs on them, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and when, once they do it, it's not such a big deal, right? They could have done it a week ago and gotten it off their plate, and it would have moved business forward. That, you know, time with, with everything, call reluctance, making the calls, follow through, all that good stuff. Time. Yeah, time. All right, so time. <laughs> We boil it down to time. Time. So, um, so you had to give you know one piece of advice to a sales professional today. What would that be? Know your roadmap. You know, really sit down with uh, uh, somebody who's not entrenched in your day every day. Somebody who can be an outside source looking in that will be really honest with you. And ask the hard questions of yourself is if you really want to hit that goal this year, do you really want it? And how hard do you want it? How much do you want it rather? And what are you willing to do to get there um, and put the right roadmap together? Because too many people, as I said before, I think wing it and um, expect to do differently. And they, you know, we know that whole adage of getting the same results when you don't. So uh, really looking at how can you reverse engineer that goal that you want? Well, a lot of people don't even know what that means. Well, mm-hmm. what is, right. So. Well, and it's important for them to understand that the goal is not quota. Right. Yeah. Quota is an outcome. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because um, yeah, it's a result. And then, and then we can all get caught up in that, uh, myself included. We love results um, if we're sales-driven. But if I can feel really good about my day, whether uh, or my client can feel really good about their day, whether they hit that mark or not, they have success all around. Because they connected with the right people. They moved something forward that didn't move before. They con- contacted somebody they've been meaning to, and they finally did it, right? Those are successes. So um, commit to something. You know, If you commit to it, go do it. Put a map together on how to get there. Okay. So changing directions just a little bit. But uh, yeah. So who is it that you're coaching? Oh, great question. So uh, with, with my role now, uh, we coach 
leaders. So they could be CEOs of companies. They can be the sales manager or branch manager, depending on the industry, uh, or it can be a sales professional. We work in industries across the board. So we have clients such as Microsoft and Google to mortgage companies, real estate, really anybody who has a sales team. Okay. So this this is really the question coming up. That was just the yeah. setting the plate. <laughs> so, all right. So you're working with people at various companies, large and small, mm-hmm. that all, for the most part, work for other people. They have supervisors. So why are you coaching them instead of their supervisors? Well, you know, a lot of times uh, managers have never really been taught how to coach. Some of them were top salespeople, um, but they aren't really great managers, or they might be a decent manager, but they're terrible leaders, or they recognize that in themselves, or maybe um, a lot of times they want uh, our services to augment what they do because they can't spend as much time with their their uh, individual sales teams, their um, their um, sales professionals, or it could be a sales manager who reports them to a CEO, whomever. So what we come in and do is really augment and help track things for them so that they can see where the success is. And we um, engage with the managers so that they're in the loop on what we're working on with the clients. Um, mine is anything personal. It's just the professional things that we're working on with and that we share. And that way we can show the tracking. Um, and, and companies really love that because they don't often do it. It's surprisingly... With- well, yeah. I mean, so it seems like a... And not to say that your services aren't really valuable, but it seems like... Uh-huh. This seems like a cop-out. I mean, my contention is if you're a sales manager, your primary responsibility is coaching the people that work for you. Yeah. Not your secondary or third or tertiary. You know, it's it's your primary responsibility. And yet, and I bring this up because it's books have been written about this <laughs> that have been published just within the last year about, you know, the really the shame of companies outsourcing primary coaching in many respects. And not to say that, again, you guys provide a great service, I would sh- sure, but, but it seems like a, a failure mode for companies that they set it up where it's okay now. Well, you know, I think uh, what we do is we track, and a great, great point, we, we track our success with all of our clients on average. Uh, our producers will increase 23 to 26% because we use the CSF site I alluded to, critical success factors, which are their activities that we focus on. And so we can track for income and all of the, because that's a result, obviously, but the activities to get there. Companies love that because they don't do it. Uh, second part, I think, is a lot of managers and leaders have never been uh, instructed or taught or trained on how to coach. They know how to manage, and coaching and managing are different. Sure. I mean, once, leader, right? you, you know that. Once, so, one's directive and one's not. Exactly. And so when we when we can come in as very highly trained coaches and ask the right questions and help people move forward and make changes they've never done before, it's a it's a beautiful thing because they have a safe haven outside of the internal chaos or <laughs> politics that go on in companies. And we're a, a safe place to share those, those strategies and help them uh, really get out in the open, you know, Sometimes it's personal stuff that's holding them back. Sometimes it's professional, sometimes it's a combination. And they may not share that with their manager. Um, they may not even know some of the goings-ons that, that somebody has in, in, in their world. And so when they can have that outside resource, that sounding board, uh, that's where the value is. Um, okay. And then to be able to prove it, that, that we increase, you know, not just, not just money, but time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I see the multiplier effect, but I mean, it's, yeah. it's still... Um... Mind-boggling. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. And I said I, I walk carefully because I said I know you, you provide a great service, but it's 
it still is mind-boggling, yes. So now we get to the last segment of the show, Carolyn, where I've got standard questions I ask all my guests. And this first one is a hypothetical scenario mm. in which you, Carolyn, have just been hired as VP of sales at a company whose sales have gotten stuck. Basically, they flatlined and there's no growth and they're anxious to get things back on track and unstuck. So what two things could you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? So I'm the VP of sales, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I think the most important thing is something that we coach around with our VPs and the leaders that um, enlist in our coaching is to sit down with um, with each individual and have one-on-ones. Not, not, not enough VPs or sales managers, leaders do that to find out what's going on internally and what um, what changes can be made to hear kind of the disgruntling stuff and the positives all together, but really sitting down with each individual. Um, and then from those conversations, though, so part two of that would be then putting together uh, an individual uh, customized roadmap for each individual to get them back on track. And that's, I think, a lot of times we, we think a one-size-fits-all, you know, it's kind of an old sales, I think, thinking is that, uh, everybody needs to have this quota. This is how they are, they are operate. This is how they're motivated. And if you really internally sit down with each individual and find out what motivates them, you get different answers. And so through those conversations, then to put together a roadmap and standards, right? So that there are standards internally, but so that you know where everybody is, um, putting metrics into place, um, but having ownership. When people have ownership in what they do each day, uh, it's not about a quota. It's about, wow, they're striving for something because they want it to. Okay. All right. Good answer. All right, so some <laughs> rapid-fire questions for you. Is, you give me one-word answers, or you can spell it out if you wish. So okay. the first one is when you personally, you, Carolyn, are out <laughs> selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Attribute. Uh, sense of humor. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> All right, I like that. You gotta have fun. Gotta have fun. <laughs> Who's your sales role model? My sales role model, Zig Ziglar. What's one book other than your own that you'd recommend every salesperson read? Uh-huh. Well, I'm reading it right now, um, The Compound Effect. The Darren Compound Hardy. Effect. We're reading it. Yeah, Darren Hardy. All right. Okay. I think someone has recommended that one before. And uh, last question. So what music's on your playlist these days? <laughs> Coldplay. <laughs> Coldplay. Uh-uh. Coldplay, yeah. Oldie but a goodie. I don't even think he's that old. No, no. <laughs> but my kids might think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, it depends how old your kids are. That's right. Teenagers. <laughs> Teenage. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's over 21, so he's probably yeah. an old guy. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, good. Well, Carolyn, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, tell people how they can connect with you. Sure. Um, by, well, our, my, uh, what do you want? My, my uh, website, would that be best? What's easiest? It's up to you. Oh. Okay. Well, cell is 818-879-3651. And I can be found at southwesternconsulting.com. That's our website. And uh, my first initial last name, Korodesky, at southwesternconsulting.com. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Take the opportunity. All right. Well, good. Well, again, thanks for uh, being on the show. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success one easy way to do that is make this podcast accelerate part of your daily routine, whether you listen to the commute to the gym or make it part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Carolyn Kordeski, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 
Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.